Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school, and that is what this podcast is designed to do. To educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only to learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. I'm grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. Okay, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to today's show. Today is, um, yeah, it's going to be a fun show for me and hopefully a fun show for you, although it is going to be a pretty technical show. Um, this one's going to be a little bit more geared to the professional uh, because this is sort of announcing the launch of my new course, uh, the Hypothyroid and Adrenal course. This is a professional course and certification for those who work with uh, individuals who are dealing with adrenal issues and primarily thyroid, most specifically hypothyroid issues. And so obviously this is gonna be interested, interesting to a lot of you, whether you are professionals or not. And I'm gonna try to make this as simple as I can because believe it or not, for those of you who are more serious enthusiasts and may not be professionals, even us professionals, really get confused by a lot of this stuff. It is really, really complicated stuff, especially when it collides with the individual, right? And we, we run into something that is always an issue when we're dealing with health and fitness as professionals that you people who are not professionals and just serious enthusiasts, biohackers, people like that might be interested in. And that is this idea that research is limited in a sense. Our scientific understanding, the scientific uh, literature, the body of research is limited in some regard, right? We do not know everything there is to know. In fact, we don't know most things that there are to know. And this is why medicine is always part science and part art. And so I'm gonna be giving you a little bit of the art and a little bit of the science. But the reason I'm doing this course and this particular podcast is because there has been a lot of new understanding in thyroid physiology uh, in the research and certainly I have a lot of clinical experience in this and I'm a sufferer of hypothyroid myself specifically Hashimoto's thyroiditis which is an autoimmune uh, thyroid condition and I have had many times where I have been off my medications I choose to be on my medications now because I do feel better on them so I rarely come off I do take um, natural thyroid uh, what would be considered compounded pig thyroid, porcine thyroid, if you've heard of things like armor thyroid and that kind of thing, that's what I'm taking. We're going to get into that a little bit, but I'm going to focus on the physiology of hypothyroid. I do think if you're a lay person and you're thinking, oh my God, it's going to be way technical, I might want to turn this off, um, hang around for a little while because you might find that um, it is not as complex as you think, or at least I'm going to try to make it as simple as I can. But thyroid is a complex 
um, issue and uh, it doesn't get talked about enough. So let's see if we can um, make sense of this. And I'm going to go through the basic physiology of thyroid first and go through some of the new physiology that a lot of us, including myself, have not really been aware of until maybe the, fat, the past five uh, to ten years, maybe even more just like five years. Um, and some of the clinical pearls that I have used along the way and figured out along the way that you all can talk to your physicians about and those of you who are professionals because I know I have a lot of coaches, a lot of doctors, a lot of naturopaths uh, listening to this particular podcast. So I'm going to try to make it as layperson friendly as possible, but it is going to be technical in places. So let's go through, first of all, the physiology, the basic physiology of the thyroid gland. So the way I like to talk about this first is if we're going to understand the thyroid, we need to really understand the hypothalamus and pituitary uh, area of the metabolism. So the hypothalamus is an area of the brain and it communicates with the pituitary gland, which then communicates to the thyroid. So let's first talk about this uh, axis. They call this the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis. And you'll see uh, that the hypothalamus pituitary thyroid axis has an awful lot of overlap with the adrenal glands and the gonads, ovaries and testicles. And the reason why is because they, they have a common communication point. The hypothalamus and pituitary also control the adrenal glands and the gonads. And so you can imagine if we're talking about physiology that has a common uh, you know, sort of substrate, or that's the wrong word, but a common denominator where the hypothalamus and pituitary are involved, then you can imagine if something goes wrong with the hypothalamus and pituitary, it can affect the thyroid, the adrenals, and the gonads. This is why oftentimes when you're dealing with thyroid stuff, it can be really tough because you'll oftentimes see issues uh, that are more adrenal-related and um, gonadal-related as well. And actually, this is a first sign of dealing with thyroid, right? One of the things that you can do just clinically is if you see someone coming in with hypothyroid diagnosed, and we'll talk a little bit about how that's done on blood labs and things like that. Um, if you have someone coming in with that and they are also dealing with other signs and symptoms that resemble uh, issues with estrogen and progesterone or testosterone, more gonadal issues, and or adrenal things, you know, elevated cortisol or you know, sort of feeling wired but tired, you know, difficulty in um, sleeping, which normally hypothyroid would, call, would cause hypersomnia or uh, lots of wanting to sleep. But some people with hypothyroid actually have the opposite issue. They actually are wired at night. And this tells you that, that it, the common etiology might be coming from the hypothalamus and pituitary and not the thyroid gland. So that's just a, a first clinical pearl here. If you're not having direct clinical like really specific thyroid signs and symptoms and you're having other things that seem paradoxical to those symptoms like normally someone with hypothyroid would have slow speech slow reflexes they would have uh you know wanting to sleep all of the time and sleeping for much longer than eight hours you know and not having fragmented difficult difficulty in sleeping in fact, wanting to sleep all the time and even nap like crazy. Um, they oftentimes can have constipation, but if instead you get someone who's having 
fatigue that is more a wired but tired type of thing. They're having difficulty sleeping. They're having more IBS, irritable bowel syndrome stuff, where sometimes the stools are loose and sometimes it's constipation. This is a hint that it's really the hypothalamus and pituitary that might be the cause of the issue. So let's talk about the hypothalamus and pituitary first. The, the way I like to describe the hypothalamus is you can kind of think of it as a big antenna, right? So you know how antennas, they basically point out into the environment and they're picking up signals. Maybe they're picking up radio signals or maybe they're picking up other TV signals and they're picking up signals in the environment. So this is what the hypothalamus is doing, except it's doing it both ways. So imagine having a, uh, you know, receptor up on the top of your, uh, you know, your house that's pointing out towards the environment, right? An antenna that's pointing out to the environment and then another one that's pointing in towards the house. This is what the hypothalamus is doing. This is what it's like. It's not just collecting signals from outside in terms of what's the temperature like, what season is it, what kind of stress is out there, what is food availability, what's going on with how much energy um, I need and how much energy is available. So it's also taking signals from the body. It's picking up signals from the fat cells and the muscle cells and the liver and all of this to say how much nutrient uh, you know, need do I have? How much fuel do I have available? What are my cells telling me? Are my cells stressed? Is there an infection going on? And it's also looking out in the outside world and saying how much stress is out there. So in a sense, the hypothalamus is a um, sensing apparatus, right? An antenna that is picking up signals outside of the body and from inside of the body and integrating those things. Now, one of the signals that it is picking up is thyroid hormone, right? So it's picking up what is the thyroid sending the hypothalamus. So in this way, the hypothalamus is saying, hey, what should I be telling the thyroid to do based on what season I'm in, what the temperature is outside? Like, is it winter? Is it spring? What is going on? Uh, is also measuring what's happening inside its body. Is there an infection? Uh, do I have enough nutrient need, etc.? So the hypothalamus is having this dual sensing uh, sort of duty. And the way I also like to think about the hypothalamus as, is as a pilot, you know, piloting a big jumbo jet engine. And so the pilot is obviously doing a lot of things. It's paying attention to the instrument panels and what's going on inside the cockpit and inside the cabin of the plane and it's also looking out into the environment and making sure it's not going to run into another plane or looking at conditions and seeing how close you know the ground is and things like that so you know this is what a pilot does right looking outside of the window of the plane and also looking at his instrument or her instrument panel so the hypothalamus is doing that as well and then it sends a signal and gives commands to the pituitary so it will send signals to the pituitary and say hey here's what i'm seeing and sensing can you do x y or z so in this sense the pituitary gland which isn't in the brain it's just below the brain um, basically acts as the co-pilot and so the pituitary is also uh, looking at its instrument panel and it's also taking uh, its own separate measure of thyroid hormone levels but it's also taking feedback from the hypothalamus, right? So the hypothalamus is kind of saying, hey, here's what I'm seeing with thyroid hormone. What are you seeing with thyroid hormone? Here's the conditions. What are you seeing with the conditions? How do we need to adjust and what should happen? And so sometimes the co-pilot can you know, send its 
his own signal. Oftentimes, the co-pilot is the one when we're driving around in the plane, right, who's telling us, hey, fasten your seatbelt, hey, that the, the, you know, captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign or giving us an update and those kinds of things, right? So that's the way you can think about this. The hypothalamus and pituitary are integrating together. They're basically talking. But the pituitary is usually the final say-so. So the pituitary says, okay, thyroid, send this signal or turn on more thyroid hormone. And it does this by sending the signal of TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. The pituitary sends that signal and when TSH binds onto the thyroid gland, the thyroid uh, follicular cells in the thyroid make more and secrete more thyroid hormone. Now, one of the things about the thyroid gland is it has lots of different uh, hormones that it releases, but the two primary that we talk about are T4, uh, we call that thyroxine, and triiodothyronine, which is T3. So thyroxine T4 is not the active form of the hormone. Now, it does do some things, but it's widely regarded as inert as it pertains to uh, thyroid action on cells. T3 is considered and is the primary uh, hormone that is in action, that tells the cells, that goes into the cells and says, hey, uh, turn on metabolic rate. And thyroid hormone really is, uh, you know, it's a fairly simple hormone in that regard. It really is sort of ramping up metabolic activity. So it's turning on a lot of stuff. So in this sense, we can think of thyroid as you know, if the metabolism was a big dial and you could turn up that dial or turn it down, thyroid is pretty much turning it up. It's basically saying, hey, turn up your use of glucose. Hey, turn up your use of fat. Hey, turn up the temperature. Hey, turn up, you know, um, brain activity. It's doing all this stuff. Turn up muscle activity. It Turn up uh, liver activity, right? It's doing a lot of this kind of stuff. So thyroid is really ramping up, cranking up metabolic activity. Now, here is what is really useful and perhaps new. So a lot of professionals already know that. It's review for you people who are just learning this. It's, it's really interesting. Here's the new part. What we used to think is that T4, the, uh, you know, the inactive thyroid hormone, which is most all of what the thyroid gland releases, it releases very little T3, but a lot of T4. And this T4 would be converted into T3 in the periphery, meaning in other organs, primarily in the liver, in the kidney, and in the gut, and a few other places, these areas would take thyronine, T4, chop off an iodine molecule and make it triiodothyronine, right? Or take thyroxine, rather, and then turn it into triiodothyronine. So basically, it would take T4, chop off an iodine, and make it T3. And then that T3 would float around in the body and be absorbed into the tissues that needed it and get into the cells that required it. This is the old way of looking at thyroid physiology. Now, don't get me wrong. That is definitely 100% happening in the body. However, the thyroid physiology and the tissue smarts, intelligence of the metabolism, is way more smart than that. And what we now know is that the tissues the muscle tissue, the different tissues in the body, the fat tissue, the tissues that use thyroid can control their own thyroid levels. So you can imagine, imagine a cell that is inflamed or getting a lot of inflammatory signals from nearby cells or is infected with a virus 
or is under stress or strain because of the calorie gap. You know, it's, it's basically saying, look, I'm not, I'm either getting fed way too much or I'm not getting fed enough or I'm missing a nutrient. Any of these things can cause this cell or the tissue, which is made up of a lot of cells to create an alarm and essentially go into an alarm reaction. Now, if you are someone who is in danger, right? What normally happens when you're in danger, right? You're typically going to fight, flight, or freeze, right? Well, with the cells, they oftentimes go into freeze mode. They begin to slow things down to protect themselves. They kind of play possum in a sense. And so if a cell registers a cellular danger response, the last thing it wants to do, for example, if it's inflamed, is keep cranking out more inflammatory molecules, right? The last thing it wants to do if it's infected is keep ramping up the activity of its machinery so the virus can, or bacteria, can use that machinery. Usually a virus will use the machinery of a cell to reproduce itself. So oftentimes when a cell goes into cellular danger response, it down regulates, it turns its own knob down, it turns its individual metabolism down a little bit and so it really does not want to take in more T3 and or and or more T4 and this is a little bit of a technical issue here but one of the things that happens in the periphery when we convert thyroid hormone T4 into thyroid into active thyroid hormone T3 this is done by deiodinases remember I talked about the idea of thyroid you know T4 is basically um, four iodine molecules sitting around a tyrosine. And so when it becomes T3, it basically chops off one of those iodine molecules and makes it active. Well, this is what deiodinases do. Even sounds like it, right? It deiodinates. It chops off the iodine. There are different types of deiodinases. Type D1 is primarily in the periphery, and it converts T4 to T3. Type D2 does that as well, but it is more active inside cells. So cells have their own ability to take in T4 and turn it into T3. In addition, certainly T4 is being made into T3 in the periphery. So I'm going to repeat myself several times because this can get confusing. So there's really two things we now know about thyroid physiology. One is thyroid hormone is being converted in the periphery, meaning in the liver, in the kidneys, and then being exported for cellular use. That is normally facilitated by D1, deiodinases, but it is also being transferred and converted inside cells. So cells will take in T4 that's out in the periphery and convert it, convert it to T3 inside the cells so this is what's going on and by the way if you're hearing lots of birds chirping and stuff like that i'm sitting out on a deck in costa rica and so it's like jungle sounds like crazy i'm hearing them but oftentimes this mic doesn't really pick them up so hopefully you're not hearing that but this is a really important thing here so hopefully now your eyebrows are going up because you're kind of thinking okay so that's interesting the tissues and cells can control their own thyroid levels and if that's happening, then the first thing that should come to mind is, so Jade, what you're telling me is, it's possible that I could go and get blood labs done by my physician, and they can tell me that my thyroid levels, my TSH, you know, the signal that pituitary is sending, and the amounts of free T4 and free T3 in my bloodstream are normal, 
all normal, yet some of my tissues might be registering a hypothyroid state because of this cellular hypothyroidism. Yes, that's exactly what I am saying. And this is not understood well, even by people like me who study this, and is not at all being, uh, there's no real treatment for it in the current way that we treat thyroid disorders. We can't really measure hypothyroid at the cellular level well, although I'm going to tell you some ways that you can infer it, and that's partly what the course is about. But it's not well understood, and this is why many, many people, many of you listening to this, and I know a lot of you practitioners who prescribe thyroid hormones oftentimes see your patients getting no better. So this is another clinical pearl I can give you. If you're giving primarily T4 in things like Synthroid and uh, some of these other drugs, right, then and you're not seeing improvement in some of the symptomology then you're probably dealing with some level of cellular hypothyroidism or if you're seeing some improvement in some areas and not improvement in other areas this may point you to say okay some areas are taking in this medication just fine and others aren't for example let's say you know the brain and the muscle so the muscle and the brain are both responding to thyroid hormone they both take in thyroid hormone the thyroid hormone has action on them but imagine you're starting to take your thyroid and you start getting wired in the brain right so thyroid their new your new uh, prescription is cranking up brain levels of uh, thyroid hormone and you're almost leaning anxious right so now you can't sleep and and but you're still getting twitching and cramping in your muscles you still have some weakness in your muscles you still feel like you can't walk long distances without getting winded and these kind of things you get your legs get you know start burning really quickly and those kinds of things that might be an indication that well you're getting enough thyroid in the brain but you're not getting enough thyroid in the muscles now let me cover a little bit more of this physiology I know it's confusing but I I really want to be complete here one of the things that is really interesting here is that the pituitary gland the co-pilot we used to think that thyroid hormone just diffused right into cells and bound and binded to their receptors in the nucleus. We now know this is not true. There are different thyroid receptors on the cellular membrane of different cells. And so the pituitary gland has a thyroid receptor called beta 2, B2. And this thyroid receptor B2 is more sensitive and allows more T4 and T3 in to the pituitary gland. Also, the pituitary has more D2, deiodinase 2, to convert T4 to T3 than a lot of other tissues. So what I'm saying here is the co-pilot that is sending the signal to the thyroid gland is more sensitive to the amount of thyroid hormone in the blood and also is better adept at creating its own thyroid hormone inside the pituitary cells. And so the pituitary can register completely normal levels of thyroid while other tissues, which have different receptors, most other tissues are using uh, thyroid receptor B1 and thyroid receptor A1, and they also don't have maybe as high of levels of deiodinase de de 2 in their cells, which means that the pituitary can register normal thyroid levels while the tissues may not have normal thyroid levels. 
and this is why you can have so many people registering high amounts of TSH or normal amounts of TSH rather with normal amounts of free T3 and free T4 while having lots and lots of, lots and lots of thyroid symptoms. And by the way, let's go through some hypothyroid symptoms really quickly. Hypothyroid symptoms usually are very slow things, slow brain, difficulty thinking, foggy brain, difficulty remembering things, not remembering where you put your keys, forgetting words. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, thyroid, hypothyroid is a very uh, misdiagnosed oftentimes with depression. Those two get confused when you're working with elderly people because oftentimes if you have an elderly person who seems like they have dementia, you want to rule out hypothyroid because those two things can look very similar. So if you're someone that's like, yeah, Jade, I do this all the time. I forget words. I forget sentences. I forget where my keys are all the time, but I'm also 32. I'm not 85. Then you have a good indication here that you know, this might be a thyroid related issue in the brain. And we really do need to start thinking of it that way, that thyroid, I'm, I'm hypothyroid in particular conditions. It's not a full body thing. You can be normal thyroid in certain tissues and hypothyroid in certain tissues and perhaps even hyperthyroid in certain tissues and hypothyroid in certain tissues. That would be an example of taking medication, becoming hyperthyroid in the brain, lots of anxiety, can't shut your brain down but having issues with your muscles elsewhere or constipation elsewhere right so that's what it is and so it you know hypothyroid is slow things slow brain also slow muscle cramping in the muscles twitching in the muscles this kind of thing also slow digestion constipation heartburn also slow wound healing and slow uh slow uh skin turnover you end up getting like uh you know scaly skin a skin that looks unhealthy um you know you get puffy so the body is slow to regulate its balance of potassium and magnesium and sodium and also slow to handle uh blood sugar because thyroid is involved with insulin sensitivity and blood sugar usage and so all this stuff leads to a very puffy look you oftentimes see a puffy neck sometimes um that can be caused by goiter, the, the thyroid not making enough uh, thyroid or too much thyroid. You can get a swollen gland, but also uh, if you start gaining a lot of fat, which uh, inability to lose weight or increased fat deposition is also something. So you get what we call myxedema, a very puffy look. You get uh, constipation. You get cold intolerance, right, because the body can't heat itself up well. So you get a lot of these things. These are classic uh, hypothyroid symptoms and fatigue is a really really big one with hypothyroid another clinical tool here uh, uh, clinical pearl here I'll give you is that it is very difficult oftentimes when people are anemic they have severe fatigue and the thyroid gland also uses guess what iron and and so anemia low iron can hit you in two places with hypothyroid so Fatigue is a big one. Lots of things cause fatigue, but when you're dealing with anemia, also want to look at thyroid levels as well because it's probably involved, especially if we're talking about iron deficiency uh, anemia. And so when we also talk about diagnosing thyroid stuff, we can see an issue coming from the hypothalamus pituitary uh, sensing and signaling, or we can see it coming from the thyroid. 
That would be called primary hypothyroid if it's coming from the thyroid gland, not being able to do its job. It's called secondary hypothyroidism when it's coming from the hypothalamus and pituitary. And now we have an extra one, one that we just added on called cellular hypothyroidism. Now, I'm not going to keep giving you this big, long biochemistry lesson, but hopefully you are following me here. Let me give you some clinical pearls um, to, to allow you to know if this is going on. I just gave you a couple. If you are someone who is hypothyroid on paper, right, meaning that your labs are showing you're hypothyroid, but certain areas are functioning normally and certain other areas or, are not, when you have been put on thyroid medication, this cellular hypothyroid is probably at play. Normally, if it's just primary hypothyroidism and you don't have anything going on at the tissue level, which you almost always have a little bit going on, you're going to have classic hypothyroid symptoms like I just talked about, and you're going to see TSH be high, and you're going to see a free T3 and or free T4 be low. That's what you're going to see on blood labs, and you're also going to see that your symptoms don't completely match up uh, with complete hypothyroid symptoms if you have some of the cellular stuff going on, the cellular hypothyroidism going on. So hopefully that makes sense. So let's stop with the confusion because I know when we go through all this detailed physiology, unless you're an expert, you're probably ready to shut this off. But let me give you a really quick clinical tool to tell if you're dealing with some of this cellular hypothyroidism, right? some of this stuff that's going on at the tissue level. One of the things that we do is we measure TSH, what the pituitary is signaling to the thyroid, and then we measure the amount of T4 and T3. Now, most doctors will do TSH alone to screen for hypothyroid. Now you know you, this is not good enough. What you really want, and they also oftentimes do total T3 and total T4, but when the, the body is dealing with hormones, there's bound and unbound form. What you really want to tell your physician to measure, or you physicians want to measure, and most of you already know this part, you really want to measure TSH with free T3 and free T4. You want the unbound versions of T4 and T3. Now, the next thing I'm going to tell you if your physician is going to be controversial, you also want to get a reverse T3. Now, many physicians say this is a useless test, but let me give you the rationale for this. And for those of you uh, who are not professionals, this is the rationale to tell your physician as well. You want to get a reverse T3, and here's why. Because if there's cellular hypothyroidism going on, what ends up happening is the thyroid gland is releasing perhaps free T3 and free T4, and TSH, right? And it's it's really and it's got a bunch of bound hormone T4 and T3. And in the periphery, diiodinase 1, which converts T4 to T3, is active, okay? And when T4 is converted into T3, T3 will either be bound with uh, what's called thyroid binding globulin or it will be free. Now, free T4 and free T3 can be free to go into a cell okay so that's what you can remember now the cell remember is controlling its own level of thyroid hormone in a sense so the cell inside the tissues which the tissue is just a bunch of cells the cell inside the tissue goes okay if i'm in a danger response 
then what I want to do is I don't really want to take in as much thyroid hormone as I normally would because I don't want my metabolism to crank up. And so what it does is it primarily keeps out T4. So what happens is normally when T4 would be going into a cell, free T4 would be going into a cell, the cell takes in the T3 from, that's in the blood and keeps the T4 out. This is, a, this is a way to keep it from making more T3 in the cell, right? So it goes, I'll take a little bit of the T3 you have, that free T3, but I want to keep out the T4 because I don't want the T4 coming in and making even more T3 inside the cell. So what happens is T4 levels start to build up in the blood a little bit. Free T4 levels go up. T3, free T3 levels trickle down a little bit. So now there's a difference between free T4 and free T3. However, that free T4, if it's sitting around in the blood, then gets converted into reverse T3 by deionase 1. And we can get a really interesting measure by taking the free T3 level and comparing it to the reverse T3 level. So the ratio between free T3 and reverse T3 is a really good indication of how much T4 the cell is wanting to keep out and how much free T3 the cell is wanting to take in. If the cell is wanting to keep T4 out and take T3 in, that's a good indication that that cell is trying to decrease its metabolic output for some reason because it feels like it's in cellular danger and all of a sudden reverse T3 will go up so you'll see free T4 go up a little bit and you'll see reverse T3 go up in conjunction and you'll see free T3 tick down a little bit and this free T3 to reverse T3 ratio is something that integrative physicians like myself have been using in the last several years to really uh, hone in on this tissue level hypothyroidism okay and so we want a number if you take free t3 and divide it by reverse t3 you want a number greater than 0.2 if it's greater than 0.2 then that's probably an indicative that you're not having the cellular hypothyroidism go on but if it's less than 0.2 if that number starts to get lower meaning free t3 is going down while reverse t3 is going up this is indicative of cellular hypothyroidism potentially. Now, in addition to this number, so by it should be less, if it's less than 0.2, you might have a problem. If it's greater than 0.2, if it's 0.2 or lower, you might have a problem. If it's greater than 0.2, you're probably in the clear, right? And by the way, uh, just for you professionals, it's a little tricky when you calculate this because what you want is you want the free T3 is usually going to be recorded in picograms per milliliter. Normal is between 2.3 and 4.2. And reverse T3 is usually uh, not, uh, it's, it's a smaller amount, right? So it's usually, um, it's usually reported in nanograms per milliliter. And normal there is 8 to 25-ish, depending on the lab you use. And so you just take literally the free T3 reported in picograms per milliliter and divide it by the reverse T3 in nanograms per milliliter. You don't need to worry about the, um, the units. And that number should be greater than 0.2. And then that's indicative that that patient is probably in the clear. You don't want it less than 0.2. Now, I also like to do a steroid hormone bind binding globulin, an SHBG number for this. Um, and that's because thyroid hormone, when it goes into the liver, it signals the liver to release SHBG. Estrogen does this too, by the way. Um, so 
so does insulin have an impact on steroid hormone binding globulin. So there are other things that impact steroid hormone binding globulin. However, if steroid hormone binding globulin starts showing up low with a free T3 to reverse T3 ratio that's 0.2 or lower, then this is more of an indication you've got some of this cellular hypothyroid going on. So you really want a number less than 70 for SHBG in women. And the reason for that is just that estrogen really impacts SHBG. So it's going to be a, a, a different number than for men. And for men, it's less than 25, I believe. So SHBG that is low, plus this free T3, reverse T3 ratio that is low, gives you even more of an indication that you're dealing with high, uh uh, cellular hypothyroidism and there's one more marker that you can run called homocysteine that is correlated also with tissue level hypothyroidism and so if you have high homocysteine with low SHBG and a low free T3 to reverse T3 ratio you might be dealing with cellular hypothyroidism even if your TSH level and your free T3 and free T4 level are normal and this is the information that is critical. It's also a lot of the information that I'm going to be teaching in the thyroid and adrenal course. Now, obviously, this is complicated. So now let's just get into um, what to do about this. So really quickly, let's triage this. Now you should know with some detail, there are three areas we want to deal with when we're dealing with hypothyroid. One, we want to make sure that the pilot and co-pilot are receiving signals and sending signals appropriately. So the hypothalamus and pituitary need to be doing their job. Now there's not a great way to measure these things other than with TSH, and that's looking at primarily what the pituitary is sending. And this is where some of the art comes in. So rather than looking at TSH, which doesn't give you a full picture, you kind of want to look at thyroid symptoms. If there is like complete, like, across the board hypothyroid symptoms right just then and you're looking at a goiter and you're looking at you know very clear numbers with tsh and free t3 and free t4 you can probably you know say okay this is primary hypothyroidism it's coming from the thyroid gland everything is slow so i know it's coming from the the thyroid gland probably not the hypothalamus and pituitary however if you don't have across the board hypothyroid uh symptoms and you're having some things that seem paradoxical to hypothyroid symptoms, then you're probably having some adrenal involvement. And if you're having stuff going on with uh, menses and um, testosterone levels and testicular function and libido and some of these things, then you can say, okay, maybe this is coming from the hypothalamus. So hopefully that makes sense. This is the art of it. If you're having purely hypothyroid symptoms, then you probably can be sure it's coming from the thyroid gland. However, if you're having paradoxical symptoms, right, like usually adrenal stuff makes you wired or makes you not be able to sleep or makes you feel stressed out, whereas thyroid stuff makes you feel low and depressed. So if you're having anxiety, plus you're having hypothyroid symptom, other hypothyroid symptoms, this might clue you in that this is coming from the hypothalamus. So when you get the signal or the indication that is coming from the hypothalamus, this is when we start using lots of adaptogens like ashwagandha primarily in this case, especially if it is um, anxiety with fatigue or if it's fati just fatigue fatigue, 
with like difficulty sleeping, we'll oftentimes use rhodiola and ashwagandha. And there's some other ones there. We like ashwagandha in the integrative space because um, it has some uh, benefits directly on the thyroid and thyroid conversion. So that would be an indication to use some adaptogens. If it's just coming from the thyroid gland and you're not seeing that the hypothalamus pituitary are maybe involved, at that point, you can really start looking at nutrients. Like we have lots of studies looking at myo-inositol, selenium, zinc in particular over the long term. Actually, there's one study of uh, people taking 200 mcg of zinc um, for uh, a year and basically many of these people being able to come off their thyroid medications. We also have uh, studies looking at myo-inositol and selenium uh, being able to reverse things like Hashimoto's in a not insignificant amount of people. Again, I'll be going over this research in my course. But that's when you start looking at nutrient need. Now, one thing all the professionals know that you lay people listening to this probably don't know is you do not want to start supplementing iodine in, a, in thyroid issues. You don't want to start taking kelp. You don't want to go on Google and start taking iodine. You want to make sure you test your iodine before you start taking iodine because iodine really needs to be in the Goldilocks zone when we're talking about thyroid if you take too little or too much, you can cause yourself thyroid issues. So don't go supplementing with a bunch of iodine um, if you've been told you have hypothyroid symptoms. And this is very common because of, you know, Dr. Google and uh, that kind of thing. And a lot of people who don't have the background trying to treat thyroid or, or give you recommendations. You really don't want uh, to do that. You also don't want to be taking high-dose zinc uh, for a long period of time because it can interfere with copper and cause anemia and then that has issues that we talked about uh, previously. But if it is thyroid related, then you can start doing things like, okay, now I can really look at just supporting the thyroid with nutrients, maybe doing some things around food. One of the things we do know, although we don't have an exact mechanism for this, is that gluten uh, intolerance is oftentimes correlated with Hashimoto's thyroiditis as, is, as dairy uh, intolerances. We don't know. You know, um, although many people say this, we don't know exactly if that is the cause or if this is just a contributing factor or if it's just correlated, meaning whatever the cause is, is also, uh, you know, partly causing some of the intolerance with foods. And then, of course, if we're looking at cellular um, tissue level hypothyroidism, then we have to look at underlying causes. Like, is there a underlying long-term infection with cytomegalovirus or uh Epstein-Barr virus, EBV. I mean, obviously with, uh, with um, coronavirus, you're going to probably start seeing some of this tissue-level hypothyroid coming with this unrem uh, unremitting fatigue, long COVID where there's fatigue and brain fog and stuff like that. We need to look at is there some issues going on with thyroid physiology as a result of that. And so uh, when we're looking at this tissue-level hypothyroid, we want to look at long-term dieting long-term, you know, uh, calorie excess, right? Uh, so dieting, either eating less and exercising more or eating more and exercising less for very long periods of time, both of those can cause tissue-level hypothyroidism. Infection can cause it. Inflammatory states, you know, like so we, we've all heard about if you're getting super fat uh, and your fat cells are secreting inflammatory cytokines, this can have a negative effect on cells, cell physiology in the brain and other areas. Um, you want to look at one big hidden source of infection, quote, infection in the body is metabolic endotoxemia. This would be a state where the microbiome is out of balance, creating a lot of gram-negative bacteria that are shedding 
LPS molecules into the bloodstream and triggering a uh, inflammatory response in the body. This can have a big effect on cellular uh, hypothyroidism or overt hypothyroidism. And of course, one of the other ones that a lot of people don't want to talk about is persistent organic pollutants. POPs, P-O-Ps, persistent organic pollutants. These in particular, which are chemicals of industry, pesticides, BPAs, plasticizers, these kinds of things are ubiquitous, meaning they're everywhere in the environment, and they can have a pretty big effect on thyroid physiology and cellular alarm mechanisms and inflammatory markers, and they have uh, wide-ranging endocrine-disrupting effects, wide-ranging hormone-disturbing impact. And so one of the things I look at is I go, okay, so if it's coming from the hypothalamus or pituitary, I'm going to lean on adaptogens. If it's coming directly from the thyroid, I'm going to lean on lifestyle food-related stuff and nutrient support, right? And if it's coming from cellular hypothyroidism, I'm going to go down my list and say, okay, is there infection? Is there inflammation? Is there metabolic endotoxemia? Is there, you know, um, EBV, CMV, uh, you know, coronavirus, you know, um, type of stuff? That would lead me to support things in um, a different way. And or is there persistent organic pollutants? And one of the things, by the way, here with persistent organic pollutants is sweat therapy. I talk about a lot. I did a podcast on sauna therapies and how powerful they are. That's one way to get rid of that. And another way to get rid of some of these infectious uh, hypothyroid type of things. uh, I worded that wrong. Not infectious hypothyroid type of things, but cellular hypothyroid Uh, conditions is the use of red light therapy this is one that mm, i i'm reticent to mention i'm cautious to mention it just because we don't have a lot of research on this yet but i think uh in my own use of it personally it has had a pretty good effect and we have seen that red light therapy applied directly to the thyroid gland can have beneficial effects but the reason i think red light therapies are can be really useful for these cellular tissue hypothyroid states is that red light therapy, uh, especially in the uh, infrared and far infrared ranges, so the 850 nanometer range that penetrates a little bit deeper into the body, is really good for uh, helping the mitochondria do their job. And when the mitochondria are overwhelmed, this is one of the first things that the cell goes up, we're in trouble. So if you're eating less and exercising more, the mitochondria start, you know, petering out in a sense because they don't have enough nutrients. Or if you're eating more and exercising less, the mitochondria um, peter out because you're getting too much uh, acetyl-CoA drive and the mitochondria are having too many free radical generations and not enough antioxidant to support that and the cellular mechanism shuts down there as well. Well, red light therapy is known to dramatically support um, uh, this uh, mitochondrial biogenesis. And by the way, so is fasting really good for this. This is one of the reasons why I recommend eating less and exercising less whenever I'm dealing with a cellular hypothyroid type of states and metabolic, you know, for lack of a better term, metabolic damage states. I like eat less, exercise less because I'm trying to ramp up some autophagy, which is really, really good for repairing some of this mitochondria in the, the muscles and getting the metabolism to be less and the cells to be less in this danger uh, response. Um, so all of these things work. I know I've been rambling on and on. I hope that this made sense to you all. This is very complicated stuff, but I did want to do a a podcast dedicated to this new science in thyroid, both to promote my thyroid course, 
which by the way, if you want that course and you're listening to this after the fact, you can go to drjade.com slash thyroid pro, drjade.com slash thyroid pro. Go to that link. It'll tell you whether the course is currently available. Um, that's for those of you who will listen to this months later. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this now, that link should be available by the time you listen to this or available shortly after. drj.com slash thyroid pro. This is for professionals who want to understand this new thyroid physiology and how it interacts with the adrenal glands and the gonads as well. Yes, if you are a lay person or a serious fitness enthusiast and you want to take this course, uh, I won't give you a certification for it because uh, you need to have a, uh, a certification in the healthcare field to get a certification in this course, but you can absolutely take the course uh, if that uh, makes sense. And so, uh, yeah, just give me a heads up. I, you know, I, every podcast, you guys send me DMs and emails. I really like when you do that. Give me a heads up if this was so confusing or you have a follow-up question about it. I hope you get in on the course. See me there. This, the first course I'm going to teach live. Uh, if you're listening to this later on, it will be a virtual course. But I'll be happy to see all of you there learning about thyroid physiology. Part of the reason I'm doing this is there are a lot, a lot of patients and clients suffering from this and not a whole lot of us professionals uh, who know really how to address uh, this new science of thyroid physiology. So thanks so much for joining the podcast, and I will see you all at the next show. I appreciate you.